really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, anything I can find about the world of rugby union. Of course, I'm your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I always love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So I'll tell you here at the top, I didn't get to watch every single fixture this weekend, mostly because days only have 24 hours each. So there are especially a couple of NPC games that got a very cursory look, uh, you know, in view of the internationals and other action that we've prioritized this episode. So as I say, the rugby scene was really heated up this past week. So let's dive right in, shall we? So, of course, we start with current updates and, you know, not a heck of a lot to report this week, though my, my little family and I finally got away for the first and only time this summer. Uh, we were lucky enough to stay at a friend's lake house and we got to go canoeing, we got to go tubing behind a speedboat, and most of all, we just got to relax, which was heavenly for sure. Also, my son got to try fishing for the very first time and he, he really loved it, catching his first ever fish and, you know, beaming about it the whole time. So really lovely couple of days, well-deserved, I would wager. Well, Liza, the news this week is interesting, if nothing else. Uh, quoting here from the Sydney Morning Herald, quote, A 60-second scrum clock and a player draft are on the cards for Super Rugby as negotiations reach a tipping point between Rugby Australia and New Zealand over the future of the competition. The competition could also banish yellow cards for deliberate knockdowns, a sore point in the July Test Series against England, and pare back the role of the television match official in games. The ideas were the talk of last week's Super Rugby Conference in Auckland, which brought together the head coaches and chief executives of every team, alongside host broadcasters from both countries, referees, bosses, players associations, and executives from New Zealand Rugby and Rugby Australia. Australian teams were aligned in wanting a reduced role for the TMO and fewer stoppages, with a 60-second scrum clock understood to be one of the RA's uh, top requests for the competition in 2024 and beyond. Uh, though it is unlikely a draft system will be agreed upon by 2024, uh, Rugby Australia is understood to want a commitment from New Zealand Rugby that it will explore the idea. The Auckland meetings were an opportunity for the Super Rugby sides to break bread with their <laughs> trans-Tasman counterparts, circumventing the drama of the uh, Rugby Australia-New Zealand Rugby relationship in recent months. Sources present described the mood as collegiate and positive, with all parties keen on upping the ball and play time, minimizing stoppages, and refining the role of the TMO. The principles dovetail nicely with Rugby Australia's hopes for the competition in 2024 and beyond. With Rugby's domestic product relegated to niche sport in the shadow of the AFL and NRL, the organization is desperate to innovate. RA wants penalties reinstated for deliberate knockdowns instead of yellow cards, an issue highlighted when Australia's... Uh, Isaiah Parisi and England's Marcus Smith were both sin-binned during the second test in Brisbane. Uh, England coach Eddie Jones at the time lamented, quote, the game's gone out of control, unquote. And that's the end of the bit from the article. And as regular, as regular listeners will know, Super Rugby is a competition near and dear to my heart. So, you know, there's some, been some discouraging noises coming from Australia, especially that presents the end of this last season. So it's gratifying to know there are actual conversations and negotiations, you know, taking place 
rather than just the, uh, the sort of saber rattling we've had so much of. So please get it together, people. Come on. Moving on to our thoughts of the week, and you know, all summer long I've been enjoying the the, the Summer of the Rugby Strangest Matches book. Uh, I'd actually planned to pick yet another yarn to spin here this week, but there have been, it seems, some developments in how we can watch rugby here in the States. Of course, there's never, you know, a notification or announcement of any kind. You just have to sort of discover these things by random chance. It's a bit maddening. Listeners here will, of course, know, uh, you know, how frequently I complain about having no access to the French Top 14 here. And what seems like good news, that has changed. Unfortunately, Blow Rugby, the world's worst streaming platform, has picked up this competition. So I can already see, you know, fixtures listed beginning on September 3rd. As I said, I've been dying to watch this league, so I'm excited about that. On the other hand, given the provider, I expect realistically, like what, one out of these three of these matches to actually become available. Anyway, apart from this news, though, potentially even bigger is the fact that Peacock has removed rugby as a category from its sports page it's just all gone this network which is actually pretty reliable unlike other so-called services provided all gallagher premiership fixtures all six nations matches both european cups even carried the most recent lions tour on top of that they were also the uh, provider for the hsbc seven competitions and now all of these things are just gone so it's only about three weeks until some of this action picks back up and it's unnerving not knowing how or if i can watch I saw that the Prem had set up like a Prem TV type service last year with, you know, allegedly free replays, but I looked into it and it it can tell that I'm not in the UK and it blocks my seeing any of that content. You know, if all of these competitions go to their own private subscriptions or something, I mean, I don't even know what I'm going to do and things are looking a little dire at the moment. Okay, of course, that brings us to our reviews, and as usual, we're going to start with the internationals. Of course, the boringly named Rugby Championship resumed this weekend with, in the wee small hours of Saturday, the Australian Wallabies hosting the Springboks of South Africa, and it was James Slipper's 120th cap for the Aussies, by the way, quite a feat. So as the players ran onto the field hand-in-hand with some very excited kids, Epinetzabeth only ended up killing five or six of them, so they had to consider that a win. (laughs) The uh, venue itself was the Adelaide Oval, which is a freaking gorgeous place for a match, by the way. Absolutely loved it. Um, It would take Australia less time to score their first try than it did to get the time and score actually displayed on the screen, which was a new one. Uh, But they just looked possessed out there. Quick aside, you know, as I've said, I love Marika Korombete, but I've said here many times, it it seems to me at least, that when he doesn't manage to get involved early, he kind of checks out and stops looking for opportunities. So today, he found some action very early by playing insane defense, pummeling uh, Dwayne Vermeulen of all people, and that seemed to sort of light his own candle. Suddenly, he just looked super hungry on both sides of the ball. Great stuff, great game from him that day. Uh, In any event, uh, the Aussies were up 10-0 after only eight minutes. I felt 100% sure that we'd see that particular pendulum swim, swing back and forth at least a few times before this one was over. Oh, another side note. You know, in this very space, I've busted on Sonny Bill's performance as a sideline uh, commentator, you know, many times. So I do feel compelled to give him a little bit of credit. He's stuck with it. He's relaxed quite a bit. I'm slowly turning around on him, just so's you knows. Anyway, after the first quarter, Andre missed his second penalty in a row to keep the South African accounts closed, but it felt like the pressure was building in their favor somehow, to, to me at least. Within two minutes, he had had his uh, third shot. This one was from a spot where even I could have made it. Well, maybe. I mean, okay, probably not. In any event, he finally made it, earning, as the comms said, a sarcastic cheer from the crowd. 
As I'd speculated, Australia gave away five consecutive penalties, then a sixth to find the box with a line out only feet away from the goal line. Not good. Even at this stage, though, I started to, I don't know, I started to think the officiating was a bit suspect, but I'd, I'd really rather not go down that path. So incredibly, the Wallabies repelled the onslaught, got it out of their own territory when Vermeulen grabbed a turnover by simply walking around the side of the ruck and just blatantly snatching it from the side. No call. Turnover's good. I'm sorry. We were only at a half hour gone, and I was already feeling like Paul Williams like has money riding on this game. Just odd stuff, but I don't know. Maybe I was just in a, in a mood. Anyway, uh, the comms kind of half-heartedly explained he must have ruled that the ball was out and therefore the ruck was over, but that, anyway, that wasn't how it looked. To dispel my gathering storm of annoyance, I was pleased to notice one of the camera operators right close to the goal line looked remarkably like Rassi Erasmus, and I was howling, laughing. I mean, if it turned out that it was Rassi and you like got caught after the fact, I mean, would it take more than your two hands to count how many people would actually be surprised about that? Oh my gosh, that would have been awesome. Anyway, I got to tighten this up. This is exactly why I was worried about introducing officiating comments. Paul Williams could generate his own podcast just through his decision-making every week, but until I actually start that pod, I will shut up about it. So, second half, right around 46 minutes, it was the man I've been discussing, Marika Corambete, showing his slinky footwork along with his insane physicality. Dusting a couple of spring boxes to dot one down to make it 15 to 3 after Lelicio shanked the extras. So, clearly annoyed and worried about his bet, the ref ignored a forward pass and a knock on by South Africa in quick succession and could be heard over the mic clearly saying, I don't care what I have to do, the spring box will win this match. Uh, oh, okay, you couldn't actually hear that, but I assume it happened. I think that's fair. Then, off a set piece, oh my word, Australia ran an absolutely beautiful play breaking Lola Seal through, uh, through the middle for an easy offload, leading to Fraser McWright's second try of the day, and the score was 22-3. to By the end, it was Australia winning 25-17 to in a match that could have been 55-3. to Just Oh, and at the end, Sonny Bill Williams was again just smiling ear-to-ear as he interviewed Marika Corumbete. I really enjoyed hearing Corumbete's voice. I think it might have been the first time. Pretty much exactly as I would have thought it was going to sound. Uh, so, great showing today for Australia, and you know, to me, South Africa, they just weren't right. There was just something off today. Like, Andre missing those first two kicks, that was a warning sign. Uh, they just never seemed to click. I didn't even think it was you know, particularly the Aussie defense. I think they just had one of those days, kind of. And, you know, despite all the best efforts of the officials, there was no way they were going to win on this day. So, believe me, I picked the box ahead of this one and was shocked by their performance. But sometimes, you know, these things happen. And uh, these things happen, did I just say? So, congrats to the Wallabies on the upset. And by the way, be very afraid of how good and how angry the box will be in rebounding after this one. I'm getting like pre-scared about how intense that one's going to be. Okay, shortly thereafter, we did have the New Zealand All Blacks back at home to take on Los Pumas from Argentina. And I swear, after, after I was freaking worked up, I got turned that last match. I, I wasn't even sure I should watch this one on the same day. So tense. But of course I did. Anyway, to start, we, we, we got... Something new for me, an entirely sung version of the Argentinian anthem. that I just really loved that. The, clear, uh, the players seemed clearly all about it, too. And then, you know, the home side, it was smashing. The crowd was singing along, and it, somehow it took on the quality of a chant almost. Really cool. And then a completely unrelated side note, Sam Whitelock increasingly looks like, you know, the single most badass dad you're ever going to encounter on this planet. <laughs> anyway. Shockingly, right there at the beginning, Richie Mwanga missed a bit of a gimme, 
leaving the scoreline blank for all sides. And these types of moments, you know, to me, they're often harbingers or omens, usually of ill. Uh, sure enough, no way was Buffelli missing his chance and Los Pumas struck first. Lewis Ray Sam that guy is good. The ABs quickly scored a try, but Mwanga again muffed the kick and the old alarm bells were a ringing. Uh, however, New Zealand gained a bit of momentum and a try by Caleb Clark really proved a spark, uh, getting them to 15-6 to in Christchurch. Two Buffelli kicks later and it was only a three-point game at halftime. Kieran, by the way, on comms, Kieran Reed, uh, he seems to have doubled down on his on-air personality, you know, steering away from his, you know, no personality. And I have no idea why I said something so mean about such a nice guy. Anyway, second half, Los Pumas. They came out firing. New Zealand started to look desperate. And to me, they decided to give Jordi a crack at an almost unmakeable kick just a couple minutes in. And to me, it was not because they thought they'd get those points, but just to calm everybody down. Not sure if it would work as the attempt sailed, uh, sailed well wide. Then they brought in a whole new front row. And again, I had to wonder if these were clever tactics or desperation. So getting there three a few minutes later, the All Blacks then perhaps paid the price of timidity with Argentina snatching a high ball, resting it away, bursting through for a, a, a how did that happen try. And the Kiwis were again down on their home turf. Folks, this is just not. This is probably not news, but this is not the New Zealand team of even three years ago. And I have never once, you know, been one to call for Fozzie's head, but it doesn't take a genius to see that how they've dropped off ever since Steve Hansen left, you know, so a bit frightening right now. Argentina, they continued to physically dominate at the breakdown and the free flowing Kiwis were stifled well and truly. Buffelli again increasing the lead, New Zealand 18, Argentina 22. The ABs couldn't even hold on to it in their own territory with a line-out deep in Los Pumas territory, badly overthrown. And after the kicking duel, Argentina were again on the attack in a great position. The Kiwis, to me, started to look rattled. Buffelli, again, I mean, ugh, the man has come down to us from outer space. And the lead was a full seven points with only a quarter hour to play. Holy crap. Oh, side note, last week, I wrote in my little script, I wrote the words, if the All Blacks lose at home to Argentina, Ian Foster is fired, period. But before I went to record that, the uh, the New Zealand Rugby Union came out with their message of support, guaranteeing his tenure through the next Rugby World Cup. And I just wonder how they'll feel about that if he, you know, if things keep going the way they are right now. Shannon Frizzell then got yellow carded at the 70-minute mark just to add the air of inevitability to this one. While the comms kind of circled that really weird, awkward thing they often like to talk about for some reason that's like... Well, uh, these Argentinians, they sure are a, a passionate people and, and so on like that. Rough guys. Blurg. Wait, another side note. Artie Savia, he got tackled. And I swear, it almost looked like he just tried to sort of flex his neck, neck muscles to try to shake the dude off. And I realized, oh yeah, that probably would have worked on me, actually. Artie Savia's neck is stronger than me, and I'm okay with that. In any event... Uh, a not straight call on what looked like a perfectly straight throw for me uh, cost New Zealand what in all likelihood was their last possession. As a fan, it's annoying when, you know, you give up hope and then you get it back again and then you see a call like that. But, you know, I think I'm just really salty today. So Argentina, they get their first win in New Zealand ever. What a feat for them. You know, no one call cost the Kiwis the match. It was their overall lack of offensive potency, their inability to adjust on the fly. I mean, it's it's shocking for me, quite frankly. And I'm the one who's been saying Argentina are much better than we all think they are, but this one, wow, I'm just, I am stunned. 18 to 25 was your final score. This has to be an unheralded apex for Argentine rugby right now. Come on, like, get on board. Out of the ashes, out of the, you guys might as well go find jobs elsewhere because we pretty much don't exist. And now they're the world's rugby phoenix right now. 
you know, watch out rugby world cup contenders. I don't think these guys are one to sleep on. And I don't think they were on anyone's radar until like just these last couple of months. This could be dangerous. So elsewhere, but still on the international stage, the black ferns were in Australia to face the Wallaroos who were hoping for a better showing than last week. That's for sure. It was a tough start for the Kiwis, though, losing a key player to an injury and getting yellow-carded as the Aussies scored first. After 11 minutes, the Black Ferns were down 7-0. New Zealand almost inevitably would gain ascension, but the Wallaroos' defense, oh, just incredible, They're, with their captain snagging a massive turnover to stop a really promising drive from the visitors. And, you know, it was still anyone's game at halftime, 7-10. to Fast forward all the way to the, the final 10 minutes, Australia still hadn't found any more points and were trailing 7-22, to though their defense was still just to be mind-boggling. So Laurie Kramer, a late substitution for Australia, managed to score right at the very end for the very respectable final scoreline of 14-22. to If they can get their offense clicking just a little better, I feel like they could be a, you know, a real problem for any team at this stage. Very impressive. A potential juggernaut on defense to me. Also, I bet you all were wondering if I had forgotten about it, and I most certainly have not. The USA women traveled to Edinburgh to the goddamn health stadium to face the Scottish women. And while I was told that it was on TikTok, I was pleased to discover it was also on the rugby network. So also for free, no matter. Uh, so, you know, I went into this one feeling very optimistic for me, at least. Um, Scotland, however, they scored first. We seemed to have a hard time getting our offense in gear. I was hoping it was just nerves. So despite being behind early, my Eagles did not look rattled one bit, kicked a nice penalty to get on the board, then went ahead with their first try. After missing the extras, they were up by a single point just after the quarter hour mark. And speaking of not rattled, Rona Lloyd showed everyone why she's becoming a household name, dotting one down in the corner to retake the lead for Scotland. This one seemed destined to come down to the very wire with Scotland holding a single point lead at halftime. So, Side note, I didn't see the lineups ahead of this one. So I, you know, I looked them up during halftime and was very disappointed to see neither of the Sisters in the match day 23. Naturally, I was hoping that, you know, this would prove a, a mistake for the Scots, quite frankly. In any event, it was after the three-quarter mark that the USA finally retook the lead. The Scottish fullback made an incredible tackle to save a potentially game-sealing try for my Eagles, followed by another crazy turnover right near the goal line. Just a powerful effort by the Scots today. A bit of a questionable penalty against us with under a minute to go. The home team would need a try to seal uh, to steal this one out of the death. We managed to seal a line out, though, for what should have ended it. But the ref blew another penalty I, I didn't understand or see in any way. I handed it back to Scotland. What was that about? Anyway, the Scots went on a rampaging drive, putting together phase after phase, drawing inevitably closer and closer, but just managed to cough it up at the clock well into the red. It was my USA sneaking out a nail-biter of a win 17-21 to 21 by the end. Phew, I feel completely put through the ringer now. Well done, Eagles. So much heart on display in the Scottish sunshine, as the comms put it. Also, I asked this on Twitter, but got no answers. If anyone can tell me who was the lead on comms for this match, please let me know. She was awesome. Okay, moving out of the internationals, we're going to look at the FPC. The rounds were listed as rounds 7 and 8. And, you know, frankly, it took me a little while, but I finally figured out what the deal was with that whole listing for two different rounds in the same weekend. It's because the, the Fair Palmer Cup Championship Division have made it to the quarterfinal stages of the competition with Otago and Hawks Bay awaiting the winners of the two quarterfinal matches. Tasman hosted North Harbor on Saturday in the first quarterfinal with North, uh, while Northland took on Taranaki in the second quarterfinal on Sunday afternoon. In the Premiership Division, Canterbury and Waikato 
have secured the top two spots with Auckland, Wellington, Counties Monaco, and Bay of Plenty all battling for the final two semifinal spots. So, starting with the championship division then, it was Tasman women versus North Harbour Hibiscus, and it looked like a, a bit of a tall order for the visitors, who haven't been great this year, frankly. However, they did score first. It wasn't until the 26th minute that Tasman answered back, taking a, a 7-5 lead with the conversion. Oh, man. Haley Hutana singled out here just last week, got herself another try just before halftime, converted her own score. Going into the lockers, it was an impressive 7-15 in favor of the Hibiscus. This one got tighter and tighter, 17-21 going into the final 20 minutes. And then with only two minutes to go in the match, a decisive try again for North Harbor pushed their lead to 11, and that's how it would end, 20-31, to 31, and a great showing for the away side. Ooh, Hutana, what a player. So then, it was Northland women versus Taranaki women. This one, it, it never felt close, really. Uh, Taranaki, unable to score in the entire first half. Um, Northland cruised to, to a 31-19 win at home. Otago and Hawks Bay then, as I said, already secured their places in the championship postseason. So both those teams were on a bye this week. But then in the premiership division, we had the Auckland Storm versus Wellington Pride. And, you know, there wasn't a, a ton of scoring in the first half with Auckland up 7-0 after the first half hour. But then uh, Tamson Newton, she squeaked through. Oh, my gosh. She, she squeaked through two defenders like magic. It was like she became two-dimensional just for a split second. Suddenly it was a two-point match. And with an added penalty, they found themselves up 7-8 to eight on the road at halftime. After 55 minutes, Wellington appeared in control, having gone on a 5-25 to 25 run since that half-hour mark. But Auckland weren't going anywhere, clawing back within 6, 19-25, headed into the final quarter. Furious defense by Auckland right down on their own goal line. Somehow it kept out what, you know, what felt like an inevitable try. Sure enough, under 5 minutes remaining, an amazing power try for the home side. Gave them a shot right in front to go ahead as the clock wound down. Auckland found their first lead since the first quarter. The bench going absolutely berserk. Wellington had one more shot but would end up knocking it on to the jubilation of the home team and a lovely home crowd as well. 26-25 to 25, all told in a fantastic contest. Quick side note. We all know that there are fewer calls for high tackles in the Southern Hemisphere sort of in general, but... I'm telling you, it's even more pronounced in the women's game than the men's. It was just a neck tackle festival out there today and never a whistle. Definitely something that's going to come up soon, methinks. Anyway, moving on to uh, Counties Monaco Heat versus Waikato Women. Uh, this replay wouldn't work for me. Uh, big surprise. Uh, I did look it up, of course, and uh, it seems like Waikato were dominant the whole way. Anyway, 12 to 32 by the end. Then Bay of Plenty Volcanics versus Canterbury Women. This was the last match for me. And it was a heartbreaker for the home team, falling 31-33 to in a barn burner. Uh, Peyton Takamawana got a brace for Bay of Plenty, while Isabella Waterman did the same for Canterbury. We're going to uh, lay out how, how all of these uh, results impact the postseason in updates and previews later on. So moving on, it was round four of the NPC, and we had to start Tasman versus Canterbury. And Tasman, they squandered several opportunities for scoring first and were down 8-24 to at halftime. They were trying to avoid losing three games in a row for the first time since 2015. But, you know, Canterbury looked very good, showed no signs of taking their collective boot off the gas with Fergus, Bert, uh, Fergus Burke, who's been mentioned here several times, slotting a conversion for his 18th personal point on the match and an 8-38 to lead for the visitors. Before even the final quarter of play, Tasman had 98 meters gained to their guests 231, and it was, as you can imagine, getting a bit ugly. 
So there was only about 10 minutes to go when Tasman got their first points in the second half. And then at the death, they added another, you know, consolation try. But that ended the affair 20-52 in a complete blowout. They managed to avoid making history by losing uh, to... Uh, by losing by 32, their worst, of course, defeat to Canterbury, a 48-10 to smashdown way back in 2008. So, next up, Waikato versus Manawatu, and it was winless Manawatu's fifth match in 21 days. And this one, facing the reigning champs, very tough draw for them this season. Manawatu's fullback uh, tried to get fancy and bat a ball that was sort of on its way into touch and get it back in. Waikato just pounced to make it a five-point lead, McKenzie making, uh, missing the conversion on that one. It was 15-6 to six at the half, but that's where I had to stop watching, sadly. Might have been for the best, however, as it turned into a bit of a laugher in the second half with the home team just piling it on, really rubbing it in. They were up 48-6 to six and still driving after the clock went red, getting another uh, in the corner just at the end to be mean, I guess. And in the end, it was a nasty 53-6 total. Youch! Okay, next up, and oh, I love this, Hawks Bay was again defending the Ranfurly Shield against North Harbor. I was very keyed up for another Shield defense. So if you were brand spanking new to rugby, you'd have to have assumed that the scoring was all in increments of four, with Hawks Bay holding a 12-8 to lead about a half hour in. Bryn Gatland, after hearing of his Diamond in the Ruck Award last week, was on top form, desperately hoping not to disappoint me or my listeners, obviously. By the way, can we all agree that black and white versus black with white is not a great color combo for opposing sides? It was like a film noir recreation of a match, like they were in a shadow realm of some sort. Yes, and that's how you know you're listening to the scrum of the earth when the phrase shadow realm gets uttered casually. Anyway, Tavita Lee, of course, had his say, twisting his way in for an amazing try with 30 seconds to go in the first half. What a freaking player he is. I can't believe he hasn't won a diamond in the ruck yet. It's a travesty, I tell you, a travesty. Uh, anyway, 12 to 15 was the score going into the lockers, and for a change, I was watching this one live, and... Uh, it being live sort of made me wait a bit for a change and it was actually kind of good for me. I think made me appreciate it as it comes. You know what I mean? Anyway, wow is what I wrote at 57 minutes. Uh, Hawks Bay, they took their first uh, convincing lead 15 to 23 Gatlin suddenly shaky off the boot. Uh, but the defense of the shield was still two scores away. As we came into the final 15, I realized something big was happening and just, just before 10 minutes, they got, uh, you know, got a three to pull within five. And for whatever reason, I thought, you know, the reserves they just brought in on mass might backfire as the game is at like a super high level right now. And it it's like diving into the deepest part of the pool, but there's also a whirlpool, you know, and then ooh, yellow card for cynical play at the goal line, Hawks Bay with a line out at the five down the same presto perfect execution at the very end, tying it up with a conversion to follow to keep the shield at home. Can you even freaking believe it? So three and a half minutes to go, and they were up two, just crazy. A knock-on exactly at the end, and it was 25 to 23. Uh, but there looked to be a bit of a nasty injury there right at the end, so I, I hope that turns out to be nothing big. But oh my word, what a match. So glad I highlighted it this week. The Ranfurly Shield is again secure in its home in Napier. Back in 1927, Hawks Bay managed 24 consecutive defenses of the relics, so uh, they've still got a long way to go for their own record, that's for sure. Uh, they got the shield by beating Otago 28-9 to back in October of 2020, and this week, uh, this weekend marked their 13th successful defense. Very fun stuff. I wish, I wish all competitions had an extra little doodad like this. Anyway, moving on to Auckland versus Otago. 
saw the home side up 21 to nil at the half. And, you know, while Otago shorts, uh, showed some signs in the second half, they were still overwhelmed and were more than doubled up 35 to 17. Bay of Plenty versus County, County Monaco was not for the faint of heart with uh, counties getting an away win through zero tries, but six perfect kicks, 13 to 18 in a squeaker. Wellington versus Taranaki with Jesse Peretti getting another start. God, I love that guy. So getting his first try as a Wellington player, Milner Scudder made it 10-0 after 20 minutes. Taranaki chipped away with penalty kicks whenever they could get them, but kicks were not going to be enough on the day. Heading into the final quarter, we had a palindromic, uh, palindromic score alert, 31-13. The Bulls would pull within six as the final seconds wound down, but a silly forward pass spelled out the end, and it was Wellington winning at home 31-23. to We finished off the week, of course, with a compass battle on Sunday, Northland versus Southland. Please, don't mention it because I am saving it. Oh, and that, of course, uh, wrapped up the weekend, but the round itself won't officially conclude until we've seen uh, the Rando Wednesday matchup. I'm actually not sure if we have one this week. I will have to double check and let you know. And finally, to round things out, of course, in the Super 6 Championship, uh, on Friday, we had Ayrshire Bulls versus Watsonians. Uh, it looks like that was a, probably a real cracker. It looks like uh, Bulls prevailed 24-17 to 17 just at the end. Uh, I haven't been able to catch any of these this year yet. Eh. Uh, anyway, we'll see. Saturday, my Bormir Bears, they took on the Southern Knights. They bounced back nicely from last week, smacking around the Southern Knights to the tune of 40-28. to 28. And then finally, Harriets were at home for a visit from the Sterling Wolves. It was another beatdown, sending the Wolves howling back home by 35 points, coming away victorious. 47 to 12 by the final whistle. Woo, what a weekend. I, for one, am exhausted. Well, by that music, you'll know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Rock Award. And this week, the award goes out to Emiliano Buffelli. Mr. Buffelli, you kicked a perfect 6-for-6 six six penalty goals, as well as converting the only attempt asked of you. And en route to Las Pumas' massively historic win over the New Zealand All Blacks. And you have, just over the course of this summer, become one of the most frightening figures on the rise in international rugby. You've come out of nowhere in terms of the types of competitions I've been able to watch in the past, and you're suddenly this unstoppable force at both club and national levels. You made history in your Edinburgh uh, rugby debut, scoring after just three minutes in a road victory over the Dragons in November 2021, and now you're scoring 20 of your team's 25 points in a win away to New Zealand for the first time in national history. Emiliano Buffelli, congratulations, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck winner. Well done, sir. So, finally, our updates and previews. Don't look now, but a ton of rugby is about to begin, with the top 14 getting back to it on September 3rd, on top of everything else. As we discussed in the you know massive URC preview pod with John and Craig from the Scottish Rugby Podcast, that competition restarts on September 16th, while the Prem gets back to it the week before that on the 9th. Our tradition here is to cover the Prem and the URC, but both these leagues are sort of up in the air in terms of how or if I can watch, so... You know, I'm feeling a bit adrift, I guess, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I imagine even if I can't watch every match, I'll still be at least, you know, bringing you scores and whatever else I can sort of hobble together. But for the moment, the future is in a bit of flux. What we do know is the boringly named rugby championship, the FPC, the NPC, and the Super 6 keep rolling while in France. A new season of the top 14 gets underway. The action 
starts, as I said, on the third with Racing facing Cast. Poe will be facing Perpignan. Brive versus Lyon. Stade Francaise versus Clermont. Uh, Toulon versus Bayonne. La Rochelle versus Montpellier, and finally Bordeaux Begle hosting Toulouse. And I can guarantee you right now, I will be mixing up Toulon and Toulouse a lot. So get ready. Uh, in the BNRC, New Zealand will try to right the ship against Argentina, followed by Australia looking for another shock win over the world champs. In the FPC, we'll have our semifinals. In the Premiership Division, it'll be Canterbury Women versus Wellington Pride, followed by Waikato Women hosting the Auckland Storm. For the championship division, both teams that came through this weekend had the word North in their names. So we'll have Hawks Bay Tui versus Northland. That's actually the first fixture of the entire weekend. And then it's Otago Spirit versus North Harbor. And in the NPC, lest we forget, we have the Odds Conference and the Evens Conference, for Pete's sake. Uh, in the Odds Conference, it's Hawks Bay and Waikato in the top two spots. They, of course, drew against each other in that very first week of the season. Southland are winless at the bottom of that table. In the evens bracket, Auckland, Canterbury, and Northland all have single losses. And Manawatu are, much like Southland, winless and in seventh place. No team in either conference is unbeaten, which I think is kind of cool. Uh, this coming week, technically finishing out round four on Wednesday, it should be Canterbury versus North Harbour, I think. Uh, before we actually get to round five on Friday, we start with Manawatu hosting Tasman. Then it's Northland versus Auckland, Taranaki versus Waikato, and Southland versus Wellington. On Sunday, Canterbury take on Hawks Bay, Otago welcome Bay Plenty, and North Harbor will face the Counties Monaco, who are still winless, as I mentioned. And then the next Wednesday after that, of course, finishes off the round with Tasman versus Wellington. Gosh, that's got to be so exhausting. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the Super Six, we'll have a Friday night home victory for my Bears facing Harriet's Rugby. On Saturday, the Southern Knights are home for Ayrshire Bulls. And last but not least, it'll be Watsonians welcoming the Sterling Wolves. Phew! Well, my friends, that does it for another week here at the show. As always, it's been almost too much fun. Uh, as soon as I know where or if I'll be able to watch the Prem, especially this year, I'll be sure to mention it on the Twitters, so keep an eye out for that. If you could take a moment to leave me a nice review, well, it's been quite some time, frankly, and I, you know, it would really mean a lot to me. So, as always, thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers, talk to you soon, and be well. Thank you.